Chapter Six of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Six Unexpected Chestnut Burrs. Gregory's afternoon walk was not very prolonged, for a shivering sense of discomfort soon drove him back to the house. Although the morning had been cool, the sun had shone bright and warm, but now the foreboding shadow of a storm was evident. A haze had spread over the sky, increasing the leaden hue toward the west. The chilly wind moaned fitfully through the trees, and the landscape darkened like a face shadowed by coming trouble. Walter dreaded a storm, fearing it would shut him up with the family without escape, but at last the sun so enshrouded itself in gloom that he was compelled to return. He went to his room for a book, hoping that when they saw him engaged they would leave him more to himself but to his agreeable surprise he found a cheerful fire blazing on the hearth and an ample supply of wood in a box near the easy-chair was wheeled forward and a plate of grapes and the latest magazine were placed invitingly on the table even his cynicism was not proof against this delicate thoughtfulness and he exclaimed ah this is better than i expected and a hundredfold better than i deserve i made but poor return for their kindness this cosy room seems to say we won't force ourselves on you you can be alone as much as you like for i suppose they must have noticed my disinclination for society but they are wise after all for i am cursed poor company for myself and worse than none at all for others eating from time to time a purple grape he so lost himself in the fresh thoughts of the magazine that the tea-bell rang ere he was aware in the name of decency i must try to make myself agreeable for a little while this evening he muttered as he descended to the cheerful supper-room to their solicitude for his health and their regret that the approaching storm had driven him so early to the house he replied i found in my room a better substitute for the sunlight i had lost though as a votary of nature miss walton i suppose you will regard this assertion as rank hearsay not at all for your firelight is the result of sunlight answered annie smiling how is that it required many summers to ripen the wood that blazed on your hearth indeed good dry wood is but concentrated sunshine put by for cold gloomy days and chilly nights that is an odd fancy i wish there were other ways of storing up sunshine for future use there are said miss walton cheerfully and she looked up as if she would like to say more but he instantly changed the subject in his instinctive wish to avoid the faintest approach to moralizing still conversation continued brisk till mr walton asked suddenly by the way mr gregory have you ever met mr hunting of wall street there was no immediate answer and they all looked inquiringly at him to their surprise his face was darkened by the heaviest frown after a moment he said with peculiar emphasis yes i know him well a chill seemed to fall on them after that and he glancing up saw that annie looked flushed and indignant miss eulie pained and mr walton very grave even the sly boy shot vindictive glances at him he at once surmised that hunting was related to the family and was oppressed with the thought that he was fast losing the welcome given him on his father's account but in a few moments annie rallied and made unwanted efforts to banish the general embarrassment and with partial success for gregory had tact and good conversational powers if he chose to exert them when soon after they adjourned to the parlor outward serenity reigned on either side of the ample hearth on which blazed a hickory fire a table was drawn up an easy-chair stood invitingly by each with a little carpet bench on which to rest the feet take one of these said mr walton cordially 
and join me with a cigar. The ladies of my household are indulgent to my small vices. And I will send for your magazine, said Annie, and then you can read and chat according to your mood. You see that we do not intend to make a stranger of you. For which I am very glad. You treat me far better than I deserve. Instead of some deprecatory remark, Annie gave him a quick half-comical look which he did not fully understand. There is more in her than I at first imagined, he thought. Seated with the magazine, Gregory found himself in the enjoyment of every element of comfort. That he might be under no constraint to talk, Annie commenced speaking to her father and Miss Eulie of some neighborhood affairs, of which he knew nothing. The children and a large greyhound were dividing the rug between them. The former were chatting in low tones and roasting the first chestnuts of the season on a broad shovel that was placed on the glowing coals. The dog was sleepily watching them, lest in their quick movements his tail should come to grief. Gregory had something of an artist's eye, and he could not help glancing up from his reading occasionally, and thinking what a pretty picture the roomy parlor made. "'Annie,' said Mr. Walton, after a little while, "'I can't get through this article with my old eyes. Won't you finish it for me? Shall we disturb you, Mr. Gregory?' "'Not at all.' Gregory soon forgot to read himself in listening to her. Not that he heard the subject matter with any interest, but her sweet natural tones and simplicity arrested and retained his attention. Even the statistics and the prose of political economy seemed to fall from her lips in musical cadence, and yet there was no apparent effort and not a thought of effect. Walter mused as he listened. I should like to hear some quiet, genial book read in that style, though it is evident that Miss Walton is no tragedy queen. Having finished the reading, Annie started briskly up and said, "'Come, little people, your chestnuts are roasted and eaten. It's bedtime. The turkeys and squirrels will be at the nut-trees long before you to-morrow, unless you scamper off at once.' "'Oh, Aunt Annie,' chimed their voices, "'you must sing us the chestnut song first. You promised to.' "'With your permission, Mr. Gregory, I suppose I must make my promise good,' said Annie. "'I join in the children in asking for the song,' he replied, glad to get them out of the way on such easy conditions.' though he expected a nursery ditty or a juvenile hymn from some Sabbath-school collection, wherein healthy growing boys are made to sing, I want to be an angel. Moreover, he added, I have read that one must always keep one's word to a child. Which is a very important truth, do you not think so? Since you are using the word truth so prominently, Miss Walton, I must say that I have not thought much about it, but I certainly would have you keep your word on this occasion." "'Aunt Annie always keeps her word,' said Johnny, rather bluntly. By some childish instinct he divined that Gregory did not appreciate Aunt Annie sufficiently, and this added to his prejudice. "'You have a stout little champion there,' Gregory remarked. "'I cannot complain of his zeal,' she answered significantly, at the same time giving the boy a caress. "'Mr. Gregory, this is a rude country ballad, and we are going to sing it in our accustomed way, even though it shock your city ears. Johnny and Susie, you can sing in the chorus.' and she sang the following simple October glee. Katie did, your throat is sore, you can chirp this fall no more. Robin Redbreast, summer's past, did you think t'would always last? Fly away to sunny climes, lands of oranges and limes. With the squirrels we shall stay, and put our store of nuts away. Oh, the spiny chestnut burrs, oh, the prickly chestnut burrs, harsh without, but lined with down, and full of chestnuts, plump and brown. Sorry are we for the flowers, we shall miss our summer bowers. Still we welcome Frosty Jack, stealing now from Greenland back, and the burrs will welcome him. When he knocks, they'll let him in. They don't know what Jack's about. Soon he'll turn the chestnuts out. Oh, the spiny, etc. 
turkey gobbler with your train you shall scratch the leaves in vain squirrel with your whisking tail your sharp eyes shall not avail in the crisp and early dawn scampering across the lawn we will beat you to the trees come you then whene'er you please oh the spiny etc gregory's expression as she played a simple prelude was one of endurance but when she began to sing the changes of his face were rapid first he turned toward her with a look of interest then of surprise miss eulie could not help watching him for though she was well on in life just such a character had never risen above her horizon too gentle to censure she felt that she had much cause for regret at first she was pleased to see that he found the ditty far more to his taste than he had expected but the rapid alternation from pleased surprise and enjoyment to something like a scowl of despair and almost hate she could not understand following his eyes she saw them resting on the boy who was now eagerly joining in the chorus of the last verse she was not sufficiently skilled to know that to gregory's diseased moral nature things most simple and wholesome in them were most repugnant she could not understand that the tripping little song with its wildwood life and movement that the boy singing with the delight of a pure fresh heart told him beyond the power of labored language how hackneyed and blasé he had become how far and hopelessly he had drifted from the same true childhood and miss walton turning suddenly toward him saw the same dark expression full of suffering and impotent revolt at his destiny as he regarded it and she too was puzzled you do not like our foolish little song she said i envy that boy miss walton was his reply then she began to understand him and said gently you have no occasion to i wish you or any one could find the logic to prove that the proof is not in logic but in nature that is ever young they who draw their life from nature do not fall into the only age we need dread do you not expect to grow old she shook her head half humorously and said but these children will before i get them to bed he ostensibly resumed his magazine but did not turn any leaves his first mental query was have i rightly gauged miss walton i half believe she understands me better than i do her i estimated her as a goodish fairly educated country girl of the church-going sort one that would be dreadfully shocked at finding me out and deem it at once her mission to pluck me as a brand from the burning i know all about the goodness of such girls they are ignorant of the world they have never been tempted and they have a brood of little feminine weaknesses that of course are not paraded in public and no doubt all this is true of miss walton and yet for some reason she interests me a little this evening she is refined but nowhere in the world will you meet drearier monotony and barrenness than among refined people having no real originality their little oddities are polished away in miss walton i am beginning to catch glimpses of vistas unexplored though perhaps i am a fool for thinking so what a peculiar voice she has she would make a poor figure no doubt in an opera and yet she might render a simple aria very well but for songs of nature and ballads i have never heard so sympathetic a voice it suggests a power of making music a sweet home language instead of a difficult high art attainable by few really miss walton is worth investigation for no one with such a voice can be utterly commonplace strange as it is i cannot ignore her though she makes no effort to attract my attention i am ever conscious of her presence End of chapter six